Isaiah chapter 6 in your copy of Scripture. I'm sure probably this has happened to you, what has happened to me multiple occasions, where someone perhaps was, you were in the company of someone else, and I think about this in a hunting scenario when you were in the hunting stand or a ground blind with someone, and you're both looking out the little opening And the one you're with, whether it's a dad or a son or a brother or a friend, they say, hey, I see something over there. You're like, where? Like over there, the edge of the wood line, coming this way. It's a big old deer. Man, I've been in those situations where I've looked and looked and looked. I'm like, I don't see what you're talking about. They're like, dude, it's right there. I mean, how can you not see it? It's a nice deer walking, coming right towards us. How do you not see it? I have been hunting with people that saw things that never really were there. <laughs> and if you've done any hunting at all, you've been in that situation too. But I have been hunting with individuals, and I mean, they saw it just as clear as day. Who was right and who was wrong? Well, the problem was, from where I was sitting, there was something obstructing my view, blocking my vision, perhaps a little twig from a limb that came and hung over the window where we were, maybe a little bush, even a leaf from a bush that was sitting in front of the ground blind. But because of where I was sitting, that leaf or that limb, that stick was between me and the object that my buddy was trying to get me to see. And just because of where I was sitting and the proximity of that tiny little leaf to my eye. No, I couldn't see that big deer walking towards me. I had to move and get a different angle in order to see what I was supposed to see. That's happened with you. That happens to all of us. Oh, it may not be in a deer stand or in a hunting situation, but it's happened happened multiple times, I'm sure. And and, and maybe you're riding down the road with your wife or your husband. They say, oh, honey, look at that. Look at what? That. And just so happened, just about the time that you turn your head to look, whichever direction, now you're by an 18-wheeler. And all you see is numbers and letters on the side of that 18-wheeler. And whatever your wife or husband was trying to get you to see is long since gone. Way past. The other week we were headed up to Pennsylvania and it was on Memorial Day. And we were just on the other side of Fredericksburg, Virginia, fixing to get into D.C. And if you've ever been... Listen... It was rough, rough. How many of y'all know that, you know, brother, it was rough. I mean, the traffic was slow, slowing down. 
backing up. And just about the time we were getting into the thick traffic, I mean, where it almost came to a standstill, I looked over, and there were wild turkeys sitting there by the interstate, I-95. There was a tom and some hens, and that tom was in, he was, you know, how I don't know, I may be crazy, or the only one who watches turkey hunting videos and shows. And man, when those turkeys come trotting out and they get all blowed up and everything, I, I don't know what to call it. I'm sure there's a technical term, but I call it getting blowed up. They get blown up and it looks like, wow. Well, that turkey did that. And I'm like, look, look, y'all, look at that turkey. Just about the time where when I began to say, look, I mean, I was going crazy. I wanted to pull over and get a picture or whatever. I'm like, look, y'all, look, look. About that time, 18-wheeler, you know. And I'm sure my family thought, yeah, Dad, you just made another one up. (laughs) (laughs) But it was there. It was there, I promise. I have no idea what he said. But I don't, right, let's just keep trucking right now. All right. We're about to read the verse and the words of a man who by his own testimony, it seems, he had a problem with his vision being obstructed. And he wasn't alone. His brothers and countrymen, Judah, they had the same problem. And while during this time right here, they were not in idolatry, at least worshiping a graven image. But I'm afraid they may have ventured into idolatry in an emotional way. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, and that's where we're going to key in tonight. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah speaking, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, his train is referring to an image that Isaiah sees of the Lord. Every monarch, every sovereign, every king, at least in this generation, in this culture, had a kingly robe, a train, where the train of the robe and the garment would just be long and flowing behind the king. And everywhere he would go, his train would follow. And when Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, we have to understand and remember that Isaiah was one of the prominent, ultimately became one of the prominent prophets in the nation of Israel. His prophetic ministry lasted through four different kings. He loved God. But this was, if we would say it this way, this was his own testimony of his initial call to the prophetic ministry. And it all began with his vision of God that the Lord gave him. But something very interesting about this vision, it's almost if, listen carefully, that the lesser king had to pass off the scene 
before the greatest king could be seen. The lesser king was Uzziah. He was a great king. We're going to talk about him in just a moment. But tonight I want to talk to you about seeing the real king. Isaiah's ministry lasted for 64 years. But this was his initial calling to the prophetic ministry. And he saw the Lord. For the first time in his life, in this sense, he saw God. And he said God was high and lifted up. And the glory of God filled the temple there and filled the place. And it wasn't necessarily that God had a kingly robe on, but the glory of God so filled the temple and it looked like the train, the kingly monarch and, or the kingly robe that, that, that a monarch would wear and that it filled the whole place. Isaiah truly saw the Lord. So I want to say just three things tonight and then we're going to pray. Number one, God is most, most often clearly seen in the context of crisis. God is often most clearly seen in the context of crisis. There was a national threat to Judah. In their history, it's called the Assyrian threat. Where King Sennacherib and the armies from the north, from Assyria, were threatening to come invade the land. In fact, we know from biblical history and from secular history that that's exactly what happened to the northern tribe, the nation of Israel. That the Assyrian army did come in in 722 B.C. And they invaded the land. They were making that threat as well to Judah. This army was pressing and pressing and pressing. There was a national calamity. Everyone's fears was heightened and on high alert. Everyone in Judah was wondering, what in the world are we going to do? And for generations and for a couple of decades, the Assyrians threatened. They had seen what the Assyrian army had done to these other nations. They spared no life. They would come in and totally ransack a nation and they would operate with cruelty. And the citizens of Judah and Jerusalem knew that that was going to be their fate unless God intervened. But for so long there had been peace in the land. Uzziah, their king, had done a magnificent job in leadership. He was such a good leader that he offered protection and a standing army. In fact, it's very interesting that if you read Scripture, it says that he had a host of mighty men of valor. I would say these were kind of like commandos. and They, they were 2,600 strong in that number. He had a standing army of over 300,000 men, trained men, and that was unheard of in that day, at least for this tiny little, little Aryan territory of Judah. But now he was gone. And everybody in the nation, everybody in the land just knew that the Assyrians were going to come and now take this opportunity. And the people were filled with fright. They were scared. They didn't have an answer now. There was this crisis. And then there was the death of Uzziah. That shook the land. He was such a great leader that his death and his passing 
caused their hearts to break. He was greatly loved as a leader. What are they going to do now? And Isaiah said that now that he was dead at that time, I saw the Lord. And I don't want to speculate too much, but I want you to hear me tonight just a moment. It is believed by Bible scholars that Uzziah was such a great king that a lot of the citizens of Judah had their eyes and had their confidence in Uzziah and not in the Lord. We obviously know that his death was by the sovereign plan of God. God took Uzziah out, there's no doubt about it. If you read the incident in the biblical narrative, you will know that it was the Lord that struck Uzziah with leprosy. It was God that killed him and God that took him out and that took his life. Why would God do that? There may be a lot of explanations. But I want you to hear me. Could it, could it be, could it be that the Lord knew that his people were on the verge of committing that emotional idolatry and that it took that crisis and that calamity to at least for one man to get his eyes off the earthly king Get his eyes back on the heavenly king. I want to ask you a question tonight. Who perhaps is the Uzziah in your life? It may not be a king. Could it be a pastor? Our previous pastor? Could it be a parent? A mom or a dad? Could it be a child? And you have such a fondness for that person, such a fondness for that person, that if we're not careful, and I am prone to do this as well, that I become so attached To them, there's a human tendency to let our affection for and fondness with others obscure our focus on the Lord. And you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be a person. Sometimes it can be a perk of life. It can be a blessing of God that He has given to us, not so that we would worship it, and not so that we would get our priorities out of line, but sometimes that's so easy to do, and we're so fond of, or so appreciative, and we value the gift, sometimes more than we even value the giver of the gift. And now that thing has become such an attachment to us. That we say, I don't know how in the world I would make it without this. We're not talking about the Lord. We're talking about somebody else or something else. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a vehicle. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's something else. Some tangible physical blessing. Maybe it's some ideal or some dream. And that dream or ideal has become so prominent in our affection. That it's almost like that's all we see. And it blocks our view of God Almighty. I don't know what it would be for you. I know for me, 
that there have been times in my life when God removed something or someone from my life. And he did it for my own good. He did it to get my eyes off of them or off of it and to get my eyes back on him. And he uses crisis. Because I guarantee you, there's probably not too many people in this room tonight that when crisis begins to occur, we are spiritually minded enough that when there is an issue or a problem or a burden that we know it's too big for us, what are we prone to do? If you're spiritually minded, you're prone to hit your knees. And you're prone to go to God and you're prone to flee to Him because we realize that at the end of the day, we don't have any strength in ourselves. Any power, grace, or wisdom, or help we have only comes from the Lord. And it's in those dark seasons, Brother Kevin sang this morning about the anchor and about the storms of life. And he said in the song that it was in those times. That's when God proved Himself to us. In the context of crisis, when, the, when there was problems and trouble and we didn't know what in the world we were going to do. Why does God do that to us? Because he drives us to our knees. Puts us where we need to be. And all we can do is look up and see the real king. God is often most clearly seen in the context of crisis. Number two, the lesser king often obscures our vision of the greatest king. You know how long Uzziah was the king? 52 years. In fact, we believe he reigned longer in Judah than any previous king or anybody after. Beginning at the age of 16, he sought the Lord. He fortified Judah. He had a host of mighty men of valor. He had a standing army. His name and his fame spread throughout the entire land and to other nations. And yet after 50 years of a life of integrity, he yielded to his pride. And that's a whole other sermon and a whole other story. And I'm afraid though that for... Many, not just Isaiah, but they really didn't see the Lord like they should have because their eyes and their focus were on Uzziah. That can happen. We can so value people and value this and value that that it blinds us to the reality of God in our life. Then I want to give you the last statement. We're going to pray. When we talk about seeing the real king, any vision of God fails that does not present God as holy, high, and lifted up. Isaiah said, he didn't just say, I saw the Lord. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He doesn't just say, I saw the Lord. He says, by the way, if, if we were to stop right there, that would be an incomplete picture of who God is. He 
He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw the God, I saw God the King as exalted. I saw the Lord, and in verse 3 we find out that he heard the angel singing God's song. Holy, holy, holy. We hear that same thing repeated over in Revelation where they are still around the throne of God with those six-winged creatures with two wings. They're covering their face, representing humility. They're covering their feet, representing worship. And with the other two wings, they're flying and hovering around the throne, representing an eagerness to serve God, ready to go and to do at His bidding. And Isaiah said, I didn't just see God. I saw God like I'd never seen Him. And I want you to know, He was high. He was lifted up. That means He was above me. He was separate from me. He was distinct from me. God is transcendent, we say. That means He's not like us. We are made in His image. But I want you to hear me carefully. He, and the technical term is, He is other than we are. That means he's infinitely greater than man. He's so infinite and so grand and so glorious and so great that our little pea brains cannot even comprehend how awesome he is. Can I get an amen right there? He's holy. So holy that in God's presence, when Isaiah looked at God and he looked at himself, he said, I am, and he uses a very interesting word, he said, I'm undone. It's an interesting word. It carries the idea of a garment that has been picked. And the thread of the garment, have you ever done this? I'm notorious for this, and my wife rebukes me all the time. Stop pulling that string, honey. No, 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 I, I got it, I got it, I got it. I keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. And it just begins to unravel and unravel, 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 unravel. That's the word picture behind the word undone. It literally carries the idea that I'm coming apart at the seams. Isaiah said, I'm not even fit to be in your presence. That's how holy God is. We're called as Christians and as churches and as ministers and as individual believers to represent the Lord in our society. But I want to tell you something. Anything that presents God as less than what He is is not a true picture of God. And Isaiah said, He's high. He's holy. He's lifted up. That's the kind of vision God wants me to have of Him. That's the kind of glimpse at His glory that He wants us to experience tonight again. Let's get personalities out of the way. Let's lift our eyes higher on a higher plane. Let's get our eyes off even the blessings and the perks and the benefits. And let's cast our gaze once again on the true king, the greatest king.
that's high, holy, and lifted up.